0: Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you, David and EJ and Lisa and Lana for serving us through music just now. I'm grateful for it because it means I don't have to. (laughs) Uh, I was prepared to and told Pastor Nick that and he said, no, no, that's not happening. I said, okay. (laughs) So here we are. Well, uh, when you get a chance to be in the pulpit like this and do a message that's uh, just part of the challenge is, what do you pick? You know, what do you, where do you go to in the scriptures? And since in Teaching Through Sojourners, we have traversed John's three epistles over the last year and a half, I wanted to dive back into 1 John and look at one verse in particular Uh, As you can see by the sermon title, you might know the verse already, but uh, by looking at that one verse, what I want to actually do tonight is take a tour through all of 1 John. And so I'll attempt to do that here in an overview of the letter this evening, but the verse I want to launch us out of is in chapter 5, verse 13. And so let me give just a little bit of uh, background here as we work through this. I chose this particular verse because it is really the purpose statement of the letter. Uh, It's the verse that tells us why John is writing and what he wants his readers to gain from his words. And verse 13 says this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And it's that phrase, that you may know that you have eternal life, that I want to focus in on. Because perhaps your experience growing up in uh, church and ministries was like mine. In, in the sense that you were taught that what the Apostle John wants to assure his readers of in this letter, that they can be confident of, the, of their salvation, is something that, that could not be known I grew up in ministries where this is almost seen as a a, a dirty word. You can't say the word assurance. You can't be confident of your salvation. And so John writes this epistle to give his readers that assurance. They can know that they know that they know that they are a believer. If you've studied 1 John at all before, you know that one of the main themes of the the letter is uh, abiding in Christ. He uses that word, abide, abide, often. And what does abiding in Christ look like is just another way of saying, what does being a believer look like? And so that's what John seeks to lay out in the five chapters in this letter. And so as we work through this epistle, what I want to do is I want to point out four evidences of saving faith. And as I do that, I want you to have confidence in God's word. I want you to be able to take it, hold it up, look at your life, use it as a mirror, use it as the perfect standard to see, am I abiding in Christ? Am I walking in faith? And I want to do that. I want to say that up front clearly because one day you are going to stand before God. And you are going to give an account for your life. And he's going to ask you, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my word? He will ask you, did you abide in Christ? Did you trust in him for salvation? Did you live a life after his? And so you need to be convinced that scripture speaks clearly about this and about salvation. So I want to hopefully show you that I'm, I'm not coming up here and saying, this is what Pastor Rusty says being a believer looks like. This is, this is what scripture says being a believer looks like. And you can know, you can have confidence. So regarding eternal life, John writes so that believers may know, they can understand that they have eternal life. Really the whole letter is speaking about what it means to be a believer. You can't find a verse You can't go very far at all in this letter without seeing John speak to what it means to be saved in some way or another. In fact, every page has numerous references to what being a Christian looks like. And if you read it through, you'll actually find John makes very bold statements very often about true belief and false belief. In fact, he's rather fond of making these very clear-cut black-and-white statements. This is what saving faith looks like. This is what false belief looks like. In fact, just look back one verse at verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, in that context, he is speaking of eternal life. That's what we know from verse 11. But that statement in and of itself is a very bold statement that's very direct. John doesn't beat around the bush in this letter. And so what I want to do tonight is speak with the same clarity and conviction that John has and point you to what I believe are four marks or four evidences of saving faith in this epistle. And again, these four areas are areas that you can use as a mirror for your own life. Hold your life up to the word of God and see what it says. See where it shines the light. These are four common threads that are a part of every believer's life. We need to understand, though, that these are all areas that believers need to be growing in. Not be, uh, Mainly because not every believer is going to look the same. We are all in different seasons of life. We have been believers, some of us, for many years. Others are new believers We come from different life backgrounds, different uh, family situations and dynamics. But if you're in Christ, you can use these four marks or four evidences as guides. And I've broken it down into four parts. I probably could have actually done three, but I hope you'll see as we go through them that I felt breaking one apart into two separate categories was helpful. And each of these marks, as we go through, I've started them with the phrase, a growing blank. Because I wanna show us that it's a, this is something that we need to be growing in, and that believers will grow in these things at different, at different rates. And so, with the idea that as you work your body out, you, you gain strength and stamina, as you physically walk toward a, a location, you get closer to your destination, Or as the biblical example would be, fruit grows over time. These things are things that are areas where there should be growth. Growth in different ways, but still growth. And so we want to know that while these are evidences of saving faith, that growing that fruit will take time. But there will be growth. There will be evidence that can be used to verify the good spiritual fruit And the good spiritual root of genuine salvation. So with that, here is the first mark of saving faith. A growing habit of walking in righteousness. A growing habit of walking in righteousness. Now we're going to jump around a little bit in this epistle, so be warned. Just probably want to write down the scripture references as we go here, but... John starts out in chapter 1, verse 5, saying that the message that he is bringing to them, the the message of the gospel, can be boiled down into this. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. What he means by that as a believer is to be one who is living in the light. The basic distinction of the message makes sense to our ears. We are are called to be living in the light. That that means something for us. It means we are to walk in righteousness. Our lives should be affected by this. This is not something, though, that is heard in a lot of churches today. In sub-churches, the very idea that your faith should have an impact on the life you live outside of the church walls is just something that is not ever talked about the the weight or the commands of scripture are never pressed upon the believer you have your Sunday faith and then you have your Sunday afternoon and the rest of the week where you look no different from an unbeliever but what John is getting at here in verse 5 and other verses is that there is a distinction in how God wants you to live God is in the light you are then to be in the light You're to be distinct from how everyone else in the world lives. In verse 6, he talks about those who are walking in darkness. And you'll know if you've looked at this letter that when he uses this term walking, he's talking about how you live your life. So you're to walk in righteousness. This means your life is to be different. There is to be something different about how a believer lives. You are to look different from the unbelieving world around you. Well, what are, what are some of those differences? Well, walking in righteousness means obedience to God. At its most basic level, it means I live like Christ. Where I see Christ go, I go. If he turns right, I go right. What I see Christ avoid, I also avoid. Walking in righteousness also means this, that when I do sin, I'm quick to confess, chapter 1, verse 9. I confess my sin, and I know that he forgives that sin and cleanses me from all unrighteousness. The believer also knows, as John says in chapter 2, that when they do sin, verses 1 and 2, they, they turn to Christ, and they are forgiven. But then in that forgiveness, you strive to walk in holiness. You strive to walk in obedience To God's commands. So walking in righteousness looks like this. As I come under the authority of God's word, as I've confronted uh, about uh, an attitude, a sinful attitude, a sinful practice in my life, as God's word shines a light into that area, I'm now faced with the choice. Do I submit my will to God? Do I submit to his authoritative word? Do I pursue holiness? Do I walk in righteousness? Do I starve and seek to put my sin to death? Or do I ignore God's word? Do I excuse my actions? Do I justify my behavior? And do I ultimately begin to sear my conscience? Do I rationalize or do I repent of my actions? Because we live in a culture and it has seeped into the church as well that would want to call people anything except to repent of their sin and to walk in righteousness before God. In John's letter, he also writes of the believers growing in righteousness and says, because of that, there will be a natural distancing from the things of the world. Again, in chapter 2, he talks about the believers' love and affections are not to be centered in This world. And when he uses that term world, he just means the unbelieving world, the things that uh, unbelievers or those outside of Christ would run after. If you're in Christ, you don't pursue the same things that the world does, you don't pursue them in the same way that the world does. Chapter 2, verse 17, John says that this world is passing away. So the believer has the mindset that this life is not all that there is, that there is an eternal life coming, and there is a call on us to walk in righteousness. In chapter 3, he goes on in verses 4 through 10 to talk about practicing lawlessness or sin or practicing righteousness. And if you look at those verses in particular, some of the language there would make you uh, first think John is saying that believers are called to walk in this some form of sinless perfectionism where they never sin, but that's not the case. We know that from chapter 1 and 2, but what John is stating in chapter 3 in those verses is just that as the pattern of life, the Christian does not habitually continue on in this pattern of sin, something that they know is contrary to God's revealed will in his word. But they walk in righteousness instead. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. So John says very clearly that There is a a pattern of life in the person that you can see and look at and see if they are practicing righteousness or not. So do you practice righteousness? Do you submit to God's word? When it comes against something in your life, do you bow your will to it? Do you let it mold you and shape you so that you will then turn and pursue righteousness? Because that's a mark of saving faith. That is a mark of abiding with Christ. You have a growing habit of walking in righteousness. That's our first mark. The second mark of saving faith, you could say it's this, a growing desire to know God's word. A growing desire to know God's word. Now, you'll notice as we go through these that all these marks are connected. But the first two marks here are especially connected because to walk in righteousness, you have to know what God has said. And to know what God has said, you have to know his word and then strive to obey it. So in chapter 2, verse 14, he calls young, young men there, and he says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. This idea of God's word dwelling in you, it takes up residence in your life. Let the gospel message of salvation by faith in Christ abide in you, and then seek to walk, to live your life in that message. So you could, you could summarize the first mark of saving faith here as Obedience. I walk in righteousness, I abide in Christ. You could summarize this second mark in one word as knowledge. A growing and a deepening knowledge of God. And while the the letter doesn't actually use that phrase, know God's word, it does often speak of things that are similar to that, like keeping God's commandments. To keep them, you have to know them, which requires you to Take in God's word. Some verses that speak of this, chapter 2, verse 3, speaks of knowing God if we obey his commandments. In chapter 2, verse 7, he writes of a new yet an old commandment, the commandment there is to love. Implying that this is something that should already be known because it has been revealed in Scripture. In chapter three, verses twenty-two through twenty-four, John writes about keeping God's commandments, doing what pleases God, and how doing that and being obedient shows that we abide in God, and God abides in us. So, knowing God's word or keeping His commandments uh, comes comes in different forms for us. It's more than just uh, Bible reading. We should should be reading through our Bibles regularly. There's great things about Bible reading plans that help you uh, keep focused and keep on track. Make sure you can make your way through Leviticus and not get caught. It's good to see the redemptive plan of God, the larger themes of Scripture as you just pour over the entirety of the Bible. You can also know God's Word by listening to good sermons, taking in good content. Uh, It's readily available from a number of of great ministries, that's one of the blessings of our day and age is the uh, ready availability of great biblical content. But it's more than just that. It's more than just Bible reading and listening to good messages. It's then applying that word to your life. If I have a desire to read God's word, but I don't then take it and let it shape my life, well what good is that? It's taking what you've learned, applying it to your life, so then you can turn and live a holy life. You can do the first mark of saving faith. You can walk in righteousness. So, the question here do you desire to know God's word? Maybe a better word to be used there would be do you have a determination to know God's word? Are you settled that you're going to put time and effort into taking in Scripture? I don't mean desire here in the sense of you get an emotional high when you read scripture, but are you, are you determined to say, I'm going to spend time every day in God's word, studying, learning about what he has said? Because those who do that, those who surround themselves with God's word, with, with biblical teaching, right, when they do that, they, they end up hemming their life in. Because they they live a life that is saturated by scripture, by truth. And what that does is it reinforces a truth they already know. It guards them so they can continue to walk in righteousness. And then as you do that, you continue to grow in your trust of God's word. So that's the second mark of saving faith. Another mark or evidence of saving faith that you have eternal life is this a growing practice of battling sin a growing practice of battling sin simply put do you seek to put your sin to death so again if the first mark could be summarized by obedience and the second mark could be summarized by knowledge then this mark could be summarized by the word sanctification Because John is abundantly clear in this epistle that there's a difference between walking in the light and walking in the darkness. That believers are called to walk in truth, the truth of God's word, the truth about Christ. And they are called to walk in love. And when you do those things, one part of that will be a continuing battle with sin. And so, this is the point where I said it could have been wrapped up altogether into one with walking in righteousness. But I like to separate it here because John does that. He, he, he calls these two sides out. And it's really the flip side of that, that coin. If I walk in righteousness, I'm going to be then battling sin. Back in chapter 1, verse 80, he says If, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So in our battle against sin, we have to start from a place of acknowledging our sinfulness. We are a sinful people, but we have a sinless Savior. We can take our sins to Christ and confess them and turn from them and repent of them, and he takes them on himself and he gives us his righteousness. And so in your growth as a believer, the trajectory you want to be on in life is one of less sin and a quicker response of confessing and repenting that sin. And guess how you get there? You know God's word and you walk in righteousness. What this doesn't mean is that you're always looking for sin under every uh, leaf and in every corner. You're not like Martin Luther when he was a, a monk, confessing sin for hours and making sure you didn't miss anything, never having any peace in your life. But what this looks like is rather you're mindful that sin is more deceptive in your own heart than you may realize. And when you couple that with the fact that we live in a fallen world, it just means you need to have your spiritual antenna up. And so how do you have your spiritual antenna up? Well, you strive to know God's word. See, it's all connected. I'm just going to keep repeating it. It's all going to be connected. In fact, in chapter 3 in particular, he speaks to the contrast in the child of God and the one who is of the devil. That the pattern and practice of their life bears witness to their spiritual birth into the family of God. That because of their good spiritual fruit, they have a good spiritual root. And one of the fruits in their life is that they battle against their sin. It's a flip side of walking in righteousness. To obey implies I will be putting off the old patterns of life and putting on the new patterns in Christ. And so what will that battle look like? Well, it will be different for every believer. We all face different challenges, different struggles, uh, temptations, different tendencies toward different sins, but but here's the great part: that, that as you strive, as you struggle, as you battle that sin, you do so with the knowledge, with the confidence that one day, in eternity with Christ, you will no longer have to battle again against that sin. Your struggle with sin will come to an end one day. And it will be that way for all of eternity. Chapter 3, verse 2 tells us this. It says, we shall be like him. Speaking of Christ. We shall be like him. Now that is a statement that we cannot even comprehend this side of eternity because we live in a sin-soaked world and a sin-soaked existence. But we can look forward with confidence that everything will be renewed and there will be no more sin. And if you really stop and think about that, your brain will hurt. So we need to move on because I still have one more point. But I just want to say this. In your battle with sin, this means there will be a distinction with you from the world, from, from the ways of the world, the desires of the world what the world runs after, what it places its value in. So in your battle against sin, you can ask yourself, am I open to correction? When the plain teaching of Scripture uh, shines the light on my life and I see an area of, of weakness or an area of growth or an area of outright sin, do I have the 2 Corinthians 7 worldly sorrow do I have sorrow that doesn't battle my sin? Sorrow that just feels bad I got caught? Or do I have godly sorrow, which then leads to repentance, which leads to my determination Now I'm going to fight my sin? Do I turn from my sin or do I excuse it? We have a growing desire to battle against sin, a growing desire to know God's word, a growing desire to walk in righteousness. And then the fourth mark is a growing love of God's people. A growing love of God's people. With with this this little caveat specifically shown in fellowship and service to one another. specifically shown in fellowship and service to one another. You see, in 1 John, one of the themes in this letter is John contrasting true believers versus false believers or false teachers. He warns against them. He says they're there. He says they're coming. And then he gives one of the clear statements about how you can identify these false believers in chapter 2, verses 18 through 19. In that section, he's talking about these false believers. He calls them antichrist, just saying that they are against Christ in the basic sense. And he says this, they went out from us because they were not of us. So he calls out those who are hating other believers, or hating believers rather, specifically by the fact that they break fellowship and they abandon the corporate body. Those that do that have a love for the world. They want a Savior. They just want a Savior in their own likeness. And so they abandon the clear teaching of God's Word as those who seek to come under it and to walk into holiness. They separate from those people. But rather, John speaks of believers as having a sacrificial nature regarding our interactions in the body of Christ, a desire to fellowship in the body of Christ. In fact, in chapter 3, verses 16 and 18, John says that fellowship with other believers isn't just a mark of saving faith, but, but, but it goes a step further. It's loving others sacrificially expressed in that particular fellowship. Right? It's not just that I come together in a building, in a place with people, on a regular basis but that I serve others in that fellowship I love others in that fellowship I've come here I have specific gifts that are to be used to edify the body I've been equipped by God with those gifts and so I I need to use those gifts first to build up the body of believers to to show love and to serve others now, when you have that mindset, when you, when you come together with that attitude, is it no wonder that believers want to fellowship together? Right? That we have to sometimes push you out the door at night, start shutting off the lights to get you guys to get the hint. Move on out. Move on out. But when you see those, those interactions in the body of Christ as a reflection of Christ's love for us, you can serve then freely. And joyfully. If you think about it, that Christ loved you and saved you when you were at your worst, so that I can now, in turn, in Him, walking in righteousness, exercise my gifts within the church, I'm now freed up to serve. I'm freed up to love others. He speaks of this in chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. The believers love for other believers. And he bases it all off of the fact that Christ came to this earth. He fellowshipped with us. And he did so when we were at our worst. So, because of that, because of his love for us, we can, as an act of love, as an act of obedience to him, show love, show goodwill toward others in the faith as we come together as the body. And this fellowship comes from the fact that the believer has the most in common with the, in this world with another believer. That in Christ there is a unity that transcends any other type of unity that exists. You have more in common with a fellow brother and sister in Christ than you do with any unsaved person, no matter the relationship you have with that person. In fact, you've maybe had one of those moments before where you, you meet somebody and you find out they're a believer, and there's just there's that instant connection, there's that instant unity, there's that shared faith that you come together around, there's this this camaraderie. That is something that the world cannot have. It's only found in Christ. Chapter 5, verse 1, John says, Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. There's my attitude toward others. One of love. So in this fellowship, you can practice the very love that you are called to live out. So again, if the first mark of saving faith can be summarized by obedience the second by knowledge, the third by sanctification, the fourth, you could say, is summarized by service. A service that involves life on life, growing communion together, fellowshipping, as we do what in the body, as we walk in righteousness, as we trust in God's word and grow in the knowledge of him, and as we seek to come together and battle our sin. So the diagnostic question for this point would be this. Do I desire to be around the body of Christ? Do I see times of fellowship as times to serve and to show love to those around me? Or do I begrudgingly come together because I'm seeking to check off a box? I want to keep up appearances so you'll see me serve in different areas. So all this is to really synthesize chapter five, verse thirteen. When John said, I write these things to his audience, so that they can know they have eternal life. Four marks of saving faith. So what are what are we to do with a message like this? What do we walk away with? Where's well, a couple concluding thoughts? We should do what Paul does in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, where he says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. That is the call of the Christian. We are called to to be vigilant. We are called to self-examination. We are not called to passivity, but to diligence, to perseverance in the faith. Which leads into my second thought, that there is no cruise control in the life of faith. No one gets to coast in this life, in their spiritual life. Children don't get to rest on the faith of their parents. Parents don't get to uh, go on cruise control after so many years in the Christian life. Because this world that we live in is not neutral. Neutral. And no one drifts toward godliness. We have to be diligent. We have to be faithful. And then finally this. Just look again at verse 13. John's very clear who he's writing to. Eternal life is only found in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ. I write to you who what? Who believe in the name of the Son of God. The path to the Father has to go through Christ. There's no other way. So he wants those who are believing in Christ to have this assurance of faith because they have eternal life, because they're trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And they know that because they're walking in righteousness, they're striving to know God's Word. They're fellowshipping with one another and they're battling their sin. So he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father what rich truths we see in your word. Lord, that your word is the perfect mirror that shines into our lives. It shines the light of the gospel. It exposes our, our weakness. It encourages us when we're faithful and challenges us to continue to strive and to grow in the faith. So Father, I thank you for John's epistle. I thank you for the clarity that he speaks with. Thank you for the assurance that he gives us that we can know, that we know, that we know that we are in your son, that we have eternal life. Father, would you help us to to be a people that continue to turn to your word, not to man, not to man's opinions, but to the clear witness of your holy scriptures that we would hold that up as the mirror and use that to examine our life and our hearts, our minds. That when we do that, we know that you will do a work in us. You will, you will shine the light on our sin. You will help us to serve one another. You will help us to battle that sin. Help us to walk uprightly. Father, I thank you for the fellowship of believers, the 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 service that we can live in to one another, the love that we can walk in toward one another, and the grace that you extend in that and that we seek to, to help one another grow to be more like Christ. So, Father, would you use this to encourage those and to convict those? But, Lord, in all things, would you draw us all closer to yourself and to the knowledge of your Son? that we would walk more like him each day. Thank you again for the, the truth of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.